You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. It's time to be still and know that He is God. It's time to abide in His Word and let His Word abide in you. Abide in His love and let His love abide in you. I have a word that I'm carrying, and I want you, as you're listening, to be able to really say, Holy Spirit, how am I to apply this to my life personally, to my family, to my business, to Life Tree as a church? How am I to interpret all the data of the world that's around me and to be able to see what you're wanting to show me and hear what you're wanting to say? So there's not the opportunity to go into all the details, but I'm wanting the Holy Spirit to really speak to each one of you this morning as I am sharing with you. Now, before I get into the message, I want to be able to put up a first PowerPoint and tell you that we have just finished a book called Third Education Revolution. And as you're taking a look at this, I want you to know it's coming out on Monday on Kindle on Amazon. It's 27 scholars around the world. The first education revolution took place in the Carolinian Renaissance of the 8th and the 9th century. The second was in the Protestant Reformation. And we're seeing this as the third Reformation and the third, well, really, education revolution. I don't have time to get into it, but I will say we have 30,000 Pentecostal churches in Uganda that as a result of it are becoming academic education centers where pastors are becoming academic teachers and we are redeeming education from secularism, restoring it into an ecosystem of the church where veritas and virtues will be established once again. And our founder and visionary leader, Vishal Mengelwadi, if you're interested, he's known as the foremost Christian intellect of India. He's known as the Francis Schaeffer of today. He will be, I'll be doing an interview with him on Renaissance Media on this Wednesday, April 14th at 7 p.m. You can join us if you like. If you want information, just go to my Facebook and you'll find it. And so with that, I want to shift, in, shift gears here. And I want to say, what time is it? What time is it? And when I'm asking that question, I'm wanting us to be able to be aware that Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, there is a time and a season for every matter. That God has a purpose for every event and a time and a season for it. And in the midst of this journey that I have been on, I've been very aware of something that is starting to get clear on the inside of me of my need to be able to go much deeper. And so I want to share the word, but I want to share a little bit of my journey into the word as well and what God's doing on the inside of me. I will say I was tired of hearing people talking about COVID, about lockdowns, restrictions, and quarantines. I was tired of hearing people telling me what the schemes of the enemy were, what the conspiracies of men were, what the natural news was, but nobody was telling me what God was saying and what God was doing during this time. They're focused on all of these things, but what's most important 
with all the information is, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? And I find myself tuning out people that can't tell me what God is saying and what God is doing at this time because I'm going, there's not much benefit in it. And I really do believe that as we see what God is doing and what he is saying, there's a hope that we have that we can communicate to the people around us of this is the hope that we have because our God is actively at work in the world around us, working all things together for good for his purposes. And he's wanting to bless us and benefit us. Well, in the midst of my own tiredness and of also not hearing something that was resonating with me through others, I was also realizing I'm not hearing. I'm not hearing what it is that God is saying and what God is doing. And I was in a place like Habakkuk where he's complaining to God and complaining to God, but after his complaints, this is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I'm going to station myself on the rampart, which is on the wall at the corner, and I'm going to look to see what he's going to say to me. I think it's good for us to complain to God, but not to stop there. That once we're finished our complaining, we're having an expectation that he has something to respond and he wants to speak to us. And that we position ourselves in a place and we start looking to see what he might say to us. And so I started doing that. And in the midst of doing it, I realized I've become such a shallow Christian. I've lost my depth, and I'm no longer a good listener. I can read my Bible, uh, which I do consistently, diligently. I journal in some ways uh, at different times, and I spend time in prayer, but I felt challenged that I'm not listening. And it's like Mary and Martha. I can even be busy in the Word, busy writing, busy praying, but I'm not listening. And I want to challenge you today to listen and to increase your, your, what I would call your spiritual literacy. And I just want to identify several different passages before I get into the word, because this has been part of my process. It's Matthew 16, verses 1 to 3. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, we want a supernatural sign for you to prove that you're the one that we're looking for. And Jesus, he responds, he says, you can read the signs of the weather for you say, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. And he says, you're so adept at forecasting the weather by looking at the sky, but you're absolutely clueless in reading the obvious signs of the times. And we see in John and other places that the miracles, he said, they are pointing to me and revealing who I am. They're showing that the kingdom has come among you, that it's increasing, and that they are speaking. And signs are really telling us what's down the road, what's up ahead. They're giving us guidance. They're giving us instruction. They're giving us wisdom. But the reason they could interpret the weather is because they valued it as farmers, as fishermen, or in traveling. So we interpret signs, and whether that's in your, if you're involved in real estate, if you're involved in construction, whatever business you're involved in, you interpret different signs. Some of you are involved in economic investments. So you start reading the signs. 
But he's in a, he, the Lord is expecting us to be able to be spiritually literate and read the signs of the times of knowing what he is saying and what it's pointing to. So even in all the passages about the end times, he's talking about the kingdom that's coming. It's talking about the hope that we have and the transformation that's going to take place. And he's wanting us to get excited about this. I'll say just in Luke 12, 54, 56, he's, he, really, he reiterates this in a different way. He says, when you see clouds forming in the west, uh, you know a storm's brewing. When a south wind is blowing, you know there's going to be a heat wave. And he says, what hypocrites? You are such experts at forecasting the weather, but you're totally unwilling to understand the spiritual significance of the time that you're living in. And he's challenging us to become sensitive to all of the signs, to be able to interpret them. And I'd mentioned this is Luke 21, 25, when it talks about all the end times and all these disasters and all of these signs. He says, it will make you jump for joy. This is in verse 28. For the time of your full transformation is arrived. Or verse 31, you'll realize the earth is yielding to the fullness of the kingdom. And he's pointing to the hope that we have that's there because of him. And that's the element. Sometimes I think we don't understand the signs. Sometimes we get fixated on the signs rather than on what the sign is pointing to and who it's pointing to. And we become literate in what we value. And my heart and his heart is that we become much more spiritually literate. Because he said the Holy Spirit's given to us. And one of the reasons the spirit of truth is given to us is he will tell us about the future and what's to come. But I think it's about taking time to listen. Isaiah 48 says, come closer and listen. From the beginning, I've told you plainly what would happen. Jeremiah 23, 18 says, if you'd stood before me and listened to me, they would have spoken my words. And again, just Ecclesiastes 3.1, there's a time and a season for everything, a right time for every event and a purpose on the earth. Ecclesiastes 8.5 and 6 says, whoever obeys his commands will come to no harm, and the wise, which means the discerning, with careful observation, they will know the proper time and the proper procedure. He's wanting us to be able to understand what he's saying by the signs of the times and what's going on currently in our world and have an understanding of what he's doing that we can align ourselves to this. I want to say that the visible always speaks of the invisible, the natural of the spiritual. So as I was in a time of prayer, and this was already uh, you know, a little over a month and a half ago, I felt like the Lord said, take a look, what do you see? And I saw a chrysalis, and then I saw it beginning to break open and a butterfly emerging. And the Lord said, research this, and I'm going to give you further revelation and instructions. So I began to research this, and as I was researching it as well, the Lord said, some people count the days of COVID. Of the first case in BC was January 28th. Uh, the first time where a community was, it was being transmitted was March 5th. 
On March 17th of 2020, we had the emergency order of saying this is the condition that we're now in. And some people are counting the days of the COVID restrictions. So if it's March 17th, we have 390 days that we have been under various restrictions that have been fluctuating. Some counted the days of COVID quarantine if they were in quarantine. But the Lord said, but I'm counting the days of chrysalis. I'm waiting for the emergence of my new church. And as I went into this, he started to give me just more insight. So if we could go to that, the PowerPoint of the, uh, the egg, if you can see that on the screen. Have you got it there? Well, this is the very first stage. So four to five days after the butterfly lays the eggs on a leaf, what happens is this little caterpillar that's smaller than a grain of rice just gorges and gorges and gorges itself and can grow a thousand times its weight and size. And so all it does is eat. It doesn't do anything of a benefit in any way to the world around it in one sense, other than it just eats and it eats and it eats. But after it's eating, it really has provided the energy that it goes into the chrysalis stage. So if we could have that next slide. And so it's going into the chrysalis stage. But in this chrysalis stage, in the period of time that it's there, it's actually been going through a metamorphosis, but it's from the inside out and the kingdom is within us. So it's from the inside out that the metamorphosis takes place. Its breathing tubes and its brain remain intact, but everything else really begins to dissolve. And you're going to see a video on this shortly. But the next one is about, well, no, I mentioned the feeding stage, but in the chrysalis stage, but the butterfly stage. This is the part that I'm wanting to focus on, but I believe right now we're in the chrysalis stage. And we need to, during this period of time, we need to settle in, as Caleb identified. We need to allow his presence to do the process on the inside of us of the metamorphosis of the changing of us but of also the changing of the church that's taking place and of understanding the effect of it as well. So in this stage, what happens is once it's a butterfly, now it can, be, it can uh, lay eggs. Caterpillars cannot reproduce. Only the butterfly can reproduce. But the interesting factor is, is first of all, it eats its shell, and it's two to five weeks before it goes into the chrysalis, 14 to 16 days in the chrysalis. Some stay in the chrysalis if they're in a desert condition for up to three years. Three years. And what they do is they're waiting for the rain and for plants to grow, and they're discerning the time of their emergence, knowing that there's going to be a food supply for them so they can survive and so they can thrive. So it's fascinating, and I could tell you all about monarch butterflies that some lived for nine months, travel 2,000 miles. I don't have time for that, but I want to show you this butterfly video, and so this will be educational. Make sure your kids are watching at this time because they're going to enjoy this and learn something. So if we could watch the butterfly video, that would be great. ...about what's inside a caterpillar's cocoon. Contrary to popular belief, this is not a cocoon. 
Only certain moths build cocoons, which are like a silky sleeping bag that covers the insect. This, on the other hand, is what's called a chrysalis. It's not a sac or a pouch. It's actually the caterpillar's own body. When it's time for the transformation to begin, the caterpillar's body ramps up production of a hormone called ectosome, and that causes it to cast off its outer coating, sort of like how a snake sheds its skin. And underneath is a hard shell, similar to the exoskeleton of a beetle. After that, life for the little caterpillar gets oozy. First, it releases enzymes called caspases. These rip apart and dissolve cells in its muscles, digestive system, and other organs. But the enzymes don't quite liquefy all of the caterpillar. They leave key structures intact, like breathing tubes. At the same time, specialized cells called imaginal discs start waking up. Before the chrysalis stage, these discs were kept dormant by a series of hormones in the caterpillar's body. But once the transformation begins, those hormone levels take a nosedive, giving these discs the opportunity to do what they do best, build a butterfly. You see, each disc contains the genetic recipe to form a different adult body part, starting from the inside out. After one week, the digestive system of the butterfly is well on its way. And by day 16, the adult's legs, wings, eyes, and mouth are all present and in working order. Now, two weeks is a remarkably short time for all of this to happen, since each imaginal disc starts out with only about 50 cells and must multiply those into thousands just to form a single wing. And if you checked out the chrysalis around day 16, you might even be able to see those brilliantly colored wings. Because for some species, their chrysalis turns transparent in their final days of metamorphosis. Now, fully formed, it's time to hit the road. The chrysalis splits open down the center and the butterfly escapes. Meanwhile, a reddish liquid spills out. That's all the waste the butterfly, nay, caterpillar, produced during its stay. Once its wings expand and harden, it's ready to mate, pollinate, and slurp nectar to its heart's desire. But one of the most interesting parts of all, research suggests that butterflies and moths can remember their caterpillar days. Now you want to hear more, right? Well, you're going to have to do your own research to be able to find out more. But what we see in this transition taking place is from the caterpillar to the butterfly, is the caterpillar is crawling very slowly and it's just gorging itself. But it's not as though it's just now a caterpillar with wings. The entire skeletal structure changes. The system changes. It goes from crawling to flying. And so I want to say, get ready to fly. Personally, get ready to fly as the church because of what God is doing on the inside of us. Even the colors change as well but the diet changes as well. So the caterpillar, usually the plant, the plant that it's uh, hatched on is what it eats. Whereas the butterfly, it changes its diet and now it's nectar. It's the pollen from, the, from flowers. It's uh, the juice from fruit. It's the sap from trees. So everything changes in that regard. And you're going to have to ask the Lord, how's my diet going to change? What's that going to look like? How's the church's diet going to change? 
But everything's changing. But some interesting things that I want to look at, and I want to watch a little video shortly. But I also just want to identify here a little bit more in reference to just the caterpillar or actually the butterfly, that nearly 90% of all plants need a pollinator to reproduce. And as bee populations drop, the role of the butterfly becomes even more vital. Without these wonderful insects, many plant species would then be unable to reproduce and their population would dramatically decrease without the butterfly's presence. We would see this effect in a number of plant species, including wildflowers we have grown to love. This loss of plant life would affect both animals and humans. Butterflies also provide assistance for genetic variation in the plant species that they collect nectar from. Many species of butterfly migrate over long distances, which allows pollen uh, to be shared across groups of plants that are far apart from one another. This helps plants to be more resilient against disease and gives them a better chance to survive. Different species of butterflies can even provide effective pest control, naturally keeping plant populations healthy and disease-free. It's amazing what's taking place. Now, if we take this of what's going on in the natural and apply it to the spiritual, when we become a butterfly stage as the body of Christ, not only will we be flying, not only will our diet change, but now we have the ability to reproduce. Now we have the ability to affect the ecosystem of our world around us of the systems or spheres of influence because of what has taken place in us. When we become transformed, we become agents of transformation. I want to show you one more video, uh, short, and on the great emergence by Phyllis Tickle. And she is an Episcopalian theologian, and she's written many different books, but just watch this short video. The Great Emergence is the name we're giving to the current upheaval that is certainly uh, across all of Western culture uh, and to some extent globally. It tries to name something that happens every 500 years. The Episcopal tradition has a bishop, Bishop Mark Dyer, who says when he gets right here that to understand the Great Emergence, what you really have to understand first is that about every 500 years the church feels compelled to have a giant rummage sale and we're having one. He's absolutely right. 500 years ago was, of course, the Great Reformation of 1517. 500 years before that was the Great Schism of 1051. 500 years before that was the Council of Chalcedon, the Fall of Rome, the Age of Gregory the Great, just to keep the greats going. 500 years before that was what's now being called increasingly the Great Transformation, the Change of the Eras. If we were a Jewish audience, some rabbi would rise up and say, it's not a Christian phenomenon, it's a Judeo-Christian, because 500 years from the Great Transformation, what we have, of course, is the Babylonian captivity uh, and the end of First Temple Judaism, the birth of Second, 500 years before that, we had the Davidic dynasty out of which Meshua is to come. So, the Great Emergence, it's an every 500-year phenomenon. We're just lucky. We get to live through one. 
don't think anybody knows exactly where the great emergence is going, much less where the Christianity, the emerging or emergent or what uh, Christianity is coming out of it, is going to go exactly. But there's some contours uh, that are, are, are clearly visible right now and can be described. For one thing, this thing is radically Jesus-oriented. It takes the position he meant what he said, uh, which is fairly radical. It is definitely a communal even to the point that about a quarter of it is probably engaging in, in a form of monasticism, as a matter of fact. It's post-denominational, it's post-Protestant, it is uh, largely based in, uh, in virtual reality as opposed to bricks and mortar, and organizes itself on the net. Uh, it is deeply concerned with theologies of religion that uh, get rid of, of Christian particularity or exclusivism. Uh, it is dipping back ardently, if you will, to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd century to try to find there the passionate parts of the Christian liturgy that sustained um, the church during those dreadful years of persecution and then to incorporate those into itself. So wherever it's going, there's every reason right now to rejoice that God is doing a new thing amongst us and it's called emerging or emergent Christianity. I want us to identify, never mind the language of whether it's great emergence. I found it interesting simply because the Lord was saying it's chrysalis time and we're getting ready for a new emergence of the church and it's going to look radically different. I remember John Paul saying repeatedly that God is going to change the understanding of Christianity in one generation. That he's going to change the understanding of church, he's going to change the understanding of kingdom in one generation. I believe that God is positioning us for an emergence and everything is going to look radically different. Some are holding on to their traditional conventional understanding and experience of church and wanting to go back to what it was. And yet I believe God's significantly changing things. Some things will remain, but many things will change. But I want to look at we are due for a time of change, not only in the 500 years, but if we look at by faith today, Canada, and the research that was done, in 1946, we had 67% of Canadians attending church. By 2015, it was 8% of Canadians. In 2020, it's about 6%. In Victoria, it's about 3%. But less than 100 years ago, Victoria was the place that we had over 80% of the population attending church. Less than 100 years ago. So from 80% down to 3% is a significant decline. Victoria is known as the least Christian city in all of Canada. The smallest percentage of church attendance. So we're ready for a revival. We're ready for an awakening. We're ready for something new that's going to be attracting the world to Jesus. I also would say, you know, people complain about not being seen as an essential service by the government. And I go, you know what? Many are. So I'm not wanting to put everybody in this. But if we look at all the various denominations as a whole, and that our government and our world doesn't see us as an essential service, I think when we start pollinating, when we start reproducing, when we start affecting the ecosystems of our world around us, we're going to be validated even by a world saying we are an essential service to our communities in a greater way. And I say we are a great benefit now, but I think the place that we're called to is even greater than what we've been doing. And my heart is wanting each one of us to, by faith, 
with your sanctified imagination by the truths of God's word and by listening to his spirit, be able to, in the midst of the COVID crisis, in the midst of moving towards an economic crisis potentially, in the midst of all the dynamics of what's going on in the world around us, that we're to be the ones like Elijah, who, or Elisha, who had his eyes open and could see the armies of heaven. And that we should be able to have such a hope that we're speaking to the Christians around us and the world around us, the hope there is because of who God is, and knowing this is what we need to do at this time. But I want to get, I want to say, prepare to fly, prepare to reproduce, prepare to pollinate systems to be fruitful and effective, prepare to cause ecosystems to flourish because of what the Lord's going to be doing on the inside of us and what's going to be emerging shortly. So I want you to get ready. And like Caleb said, uh, what was the word again? Settle in. I want you to settle in. I want you to abide. This is what we're being called to at this time because the emergence and you flying is about to happen. I can't say that I know a specific time, but I want you to prepare for what God's about to do. I want you to listen and say, Lord, how do I apply this to my personal life? Am I to be in your word more, in prayer more, in journaling more? What does it mean for me to listen and to abide that I can be a benefit to the world around me? And so I want to thank you for the time. I want Kate to step in, and I think he's got a few things he wants to tag on to this. And so uh, I'm just blessed in what God's doing. I'm so excited. I'll say my anticipation, the more I meditate on this word, my anticipation level is rising and rising and rising. And I feel like my ability to bring hope to others around me is growing and growing the more I meditate on what God is doing and what I see happening, and that I can be a benefit and a blessing to others. And I hope this has been a benefit and a blessing to you. Caleb? I, I love it. I, uh, I have found this word and the imagery of the transformation from caterpillar to butterfly so helpful for this season. Uh, because, you know, there's that moment, if you remember in the video, it's like the, the caterpillar body pretty much turns into soup. <laughs> and all that's left is the breathing system. And one of the things they didn't mention in the video, but it's implicit near the end where it says that they can remember the caterpillar life is that the brain and the nervous system remain during that time. And um, right now we're in the season where the structures we've known maybe feel like they've just turned to soup. <laughs> and it's like, where am I? What is going on? But the thing that remains is breathing system and the brain. And I can't help but think to myself like Jesus, the head of the church, the Holy Spirit being like the breath, right? And it's like, the thing that remains in this season for us is our connection to Jesus and what he is saying, what he's doing, and how he's working in us. And I loved in that video from the um, Anglican theologian Phyllis Tickle where she just said this. One thing they, they identify that they see in the developing church is just this radical commitment to the words of Jesus. Like, 
what a novel idea for the church. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I just, I'm excited, guys, about this season because I am convinced that God is doing this work in us. And it maybe does feel disorienting and strange and soupy and however you want to call it, but God is present with us in it. And uh, I just want to, as we close, repeat some of the questions that my dad asked us. And I'll leave you with one more. And he started saying, what time is it? And I just want you to, to, to rest in that with the Lord, asking him, what time is it? God, what are you doing? Right? And the other was, what are you supposed to be feeding on in this season? And I, I have thoughts about that, but I'm going to just leave you with it and, and say, ask the Lord that question. What am I supposed to be feeding on in this season? And the last thing I just kept feeling is that as this process happens, I think there's going to be some who the timing of, of transition is a little different, where you come into that uh, point where you're ready to break out of the chrysalis. You know, like my dad said, there's personal and there's corporate application for the word. But the question that I want you to be asking, and that I feel like is to become more and more part of the culture of our churches, what is God saying to you. Because you see, we all have this same spirit, same Jesus, same mission, but different gifts, different calling, different graces on our life. And there is a powerful movement that happens when you have a group of people throughout a city fixed on the person of Jesus and asking, Holy Spirit, what are you calling me to do right now? I believe we are going to see an increase of missional activity through the body of Christ in the season ahead. But it comes from this posture, like my dad was inviting us to, to just simply abide. Abide in his word. Maybe there's an answer to what we're supposed to be feeding on right there. So I'm going to leave you with that. More to come as God leads, as God speaks to us. But I really sense the Holy Spirit on this word. And I hope that it spoke to your heart and that it gives you some bearings and some um, awareness of what God's up to in this season. And so, Father, we just say as a community, we look to you. We trust you. We believe that you are leading and that you're guiding and that you're shaping our hearts and our lives and our community in this season for a great impact. This pollination, this reproduction, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done here in this city, on this earth, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Lifetree Church Sermon of the Week. At Lifetree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.